0: Game Nashville Studios, presented by Wholesale Inc. Mount Juliet. This is the Julian Council Show on Nashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5. Okay, the Julian Council Show podcast is on the air. We are not live, of course. I don't know. Maybe I'll get that changed at some point, but really not that big of a deal. So, Miss Monday had the... Labor Day Super Show, as Nick Cale affectionately called it, that me, Nick Cale and Chase McCabe did on Monday, so decided I was not going to do a podcast that day also. I'm not going to labor on a holiday, even though doing podcasts and radio is hardly labor. But I'm um, trying to figure out what my schedule is going to be moving forward. Probably going to do Mondays no longer. Probably just going to do Thursdays because your boy's doing Saturdays. Saturday, tailgate with Nikhil. Also got the whole Darren and Donnie thing going Monday through Friday. So I think I'm going to kind of only do this every Thursday or Wednesday or so, whenever kind of the schedule works out because we have all these podcasts going on. Max Herz, who's, as I record this on Wednesday, is on a, in Studio A, where I typically do the podcast. I sent out an email. So there's this email chain basically saying when we need the studio because we only have one phone line that works for phone interviews. So I'm going to have Garrett Grambling on later on the podcast from Sports Illustrated, getting an NFL preview, trying to figure out what the hell John Gruden's thinking for trading Khalil Mack and whether the Titans are going to be any good and who's going to win the Super Bowl, yada, 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 all that stuff. Going to get to that in about 20, 30 minutes or so. Max Overs is doing the Anchor Down podcast. He's on the other studio. I sent an email last night saying, hey, guys, I need a studio from 3 to 4 Central. Well, my thought was because I'm telling Gary Grambling, who's up in New York City, I need to have you on 3.30 Eastern. I'm thinking, in my head, I need you to be on from 3 to 4 Eastern. Well, what I meant to send out was 2 to 3, but I end up sending out 3 to 4. So, right now, I'm the Studio B, but I'll be in Studio A later. And apparently, there's a Preds podcast that's going to be recorded here soon, so i got to kind of hurry up my thoughts here on the college football weekend. Of course, after one weekend, every year, everyone loses their collective minds when it comes to college football when we really don't know anything. I always say every year until about the fifth or sixth weekend, which is about the first weekend in October of the season, we know nothing about any of these teams. But yet, everyone's already making all these wild accusations about the Big Ten West is a a fraud, or the Big Ten East is a fraud, the SEC West is back, and how Michigan Jim Harbaugh sucks. Yo, what's up? Hey. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so just had to, pot- had to pause the podcast because Haley from the Buzz walked in here. And this see, this is why we need locking mechanisms. This is why we need more studios. Because if I'm in Studio A, no one walks in here while I'm trying to get into my ridiculous college football rant, but no one probably cares about. Walks in. We got Darren McFrawn out here, Chase McCabe, Josh Upton, all watching as she's walking in. And my only reaction, hey, what's up, as you just heard? And now I'm completely off my game. And I, I can't – lost, I've lost focus, honestly. I, I've lost all focus on how I'm going to do this. Okay, so what I'm saying is people just got to – stop freaking out about the first week in college football. Stop freaking out. I'll just start off Florida State-Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech coming in the season was a team where, looking at them defensively, they have six guys in their defense from last year that's now on an NFL roster. From last year's defense, six guys. You're bringing back guys like Vinnie Mahuda who had suffered and torn ACL in November, was limited on Monday night. And you're kind of going into a game where, look, it's Tallahassee, it's Willie Taggart's first ever game at Doe Campbell Stadium, Monday night, blackout. You're thinking they're going to walk into kind of a hornet's nest of an atmosphere, which they did. But for whatever reason, Florida State couldn't do anything. Well, you know why they couldn't do anything? Because Virginia Tech's defensive line is really good, and Florida State's offensive line still is really freaking bad. But that does not mean that Florida State – is terrible, and that Willie Taggart was a terrible hire because eventually I think he's going to do a really good job, good job recruiting, and then eventually they get that offensive line working, you're going to have guys like Cam Akers and Jox Patrick and Kalen Laborn who are going to be able to run the football all over the ACC in college football. But if that doesn't happen anytime soon, Florida State's going to struggle because if you can't block, you're going to have a problem. Same case with, with Washington-Auburn. The reason why Auburn won that game is not because they're better than Washington, because Washington got down there twice, where they had the pick play that the touchdown got called back on, ended up missing a forty-yard field goal, and in the next drive, for whatever reason, they think it's a good idea to run a speed option with Jake Browning. Jake Browning, speed option, they don't they don't go together. But you know they lost that game? Because Nick Co, Nick Coe from the defensive lineman completely blows them up after Auburn scores a touchdown with Booby Whitlow. Washington's going down the field. They can't block. Jake Browning gets slacked twice and ends up forming the ball. That's why they lose the game, because of the defensive lines. Not because Auburn's better than Washington, and all of a sudden the SEC West is back. It's because Washington's offensive line was <laughs> missing out their best left tackle, Trey Adams, and that defensive line against Auburn is disgusting. Not because Washington's bad, now the Pac-12's not going to make the playoff. If anything, you want to talk about how the Pac-12 did not do well in week one. Is look at Arizona and Kevin Summons' debut with Khalil Mack or Khalil Tate, rather, getting 14 rushing yards and then losing to BYU. A BYU team, mind you, that was terrible offensively last year and did not make a bowl went into Arizona, who a lot of people are talking about in a wide open Pac 12 South with Khalil Tate, who was thought to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, went out there and played horribly. So these overreactions every year about oh well the Big Ten West is not, not, Big Ten East rather is now bad because Michigan State went out there and lost to almost lost to a Utah State team. Well, they didn't lose. We've already seen App State. We say every time App State plays a team after beating Michigan eleven years ago, which was coincidentally it was eleven years since the day that App State beat Michigan that they went to Penn State and they had a chance to beat them. We always say, oh, "Why do these teams schedule App State?" But then. When they beat them, we're saying, oh, well, that team's not very good. So Penn State's not very good because they beat an App State team that we always tell people not to schedule because once upon a time they beat Michigan in the big house. See how that makes no sense at all? How we make these rash judgments after one week of the season? Like people are actually seeing that LSU, like someone called in the Paul Feinbach show, and I, I get it. Callers of the Paul Feinbach show are insane. Someone called into the Paul Feinbaum show and actually said these words. Is there a chance that LSU and Alabama both can make the playoff? Alabama, uh, yeah. Because of Tua and those wide receivers, Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs and a running game, they're going to put up like 50 points a game. But LSU, just because they have Joe Burrow, who looks like he has control of the offense, looks like he knows what he's doing and was Close to being in that competition with Dwayne Haskins, who threw five touchdowns in his debut against Oregon State for Ohio State, does not mean that LSU has a quarterback. And also, with Joe Burrow, given recent events of what Urban Meyer has said, or, you know, said he did not lie about, as far as with the Zach Smith Courtney Smith situation, why would we be privy to believe anything he says? Even if it is in regards to Joe Burrow being close in the competition and not that far behind Dwayne Haskins, that was neck and neck. Are we really gonna believe the words that Urban Meyer say nowadays? I mean that's that's just my thought process on the whole thing. So LSU looked really good against a Miami team that I'm not exactly sold on. Like after watching what happened what happened with Miami, I'm not sitting here saying, like, oh man, Virginia Tech they're absolutely going to win the coastal. I'm kind of like, nah. kind of feels like another George Tech year in the coastal. Kind of feels like Duke, who handled an army team who won nine games last year and looked like they could have given Duke some problems there on Friday night in Durham. kind of, kind of, kind of feels like a George Tech year in the coastal, Just saying, like I'm not sitting here and just completely changing my opinion. Like Miami last year was a team that started off really hot. They embarrassed Virginia Tech, embarrassed Miami at home, not Miami, embarrassed, um, Notre Dame at home. On ABC Saturday Night Games in a stadium, a Hard Rock Stadium, that was basically a powder keg, ready ready to explode. Like ten years of frustration. Like Miami came into the ACC back in '04, and now last year was the first year they had ever won the Coastal Division and got to the ACC title game, where they got obliterated by Clemson. Outside of the Pittsburgh loss and the Clemson, I mean, the Clemson loss and Wisconsin loss, there's no problem with losing those teams. Pittsburgh on the road on Black Friday was a really bad loss. And Malik Rozier, or I guess they're calling him Rozier now, because, I don't know, Sean McDonough goes to the NFL Monday Night Football for like a year, then he comes back, or two years, whatever it was, comes back, and now he's calling Malik Rozier, Malik Rozier, and I'm having to rename dudes who I thought were a certain name, and weren't really that good anyway, but Malik is not a good quarterback, or Rozier, whatever the hell his name is, he's not a good quarterback. Miami's super limited with him, but that doesn't mean they still can't win the Coastal, because last year... That's my check. The Coastal was still not that great. Like, Virginia Tech was an okay team, but eventually got to a point where with a redshirt freshman quarterback and Josh Jackson, they weren't that great. They reached kind of their, their ceiling. And for Miami, they reached their ceiling, but they kind of peaked pretty fast, and what you saw at the end of last season was more of them regressing back to what they really were. They weren't a 10-win type of team ever. They were a team that was going you know, to win nine games, but it just happened that they won their first nine games, and everyone jumped on Miami, like, "Oh man, the U's back." The U's not back because no one's fearing Miami. Like, did LSU look like they were scared of playing Miami? An LSU team, people were talking about like they're going to go five and seven, six and six. And, and Joe Burrow commented on that. The Holly Rowe after the game, like, I looked around when I got here. like This team is really talented. Like, we're not going to go six and six. We're not going to go five and seven. It's like, well, you might not, Joe, but like, look at the schedule. Because that's why I tell people to calm down with LSU. They still have to play at Auburn next weekend. Get Ole Miss, who I, mean, I don't know if they have a running game, but Scotty Phillips ran for like 200 yards against Texas Tech, which still has no defense. Like doing research coming in the college football season, the word out of Texas Tech and out of Lubbock was that they were going to have a defense. That's still not true. But Ole Miss has the best receiving core in D.K. Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge, and A.J. Brown in college football, and Jordan Te'amu. I don't know if he's better than Shea Patterson, but... He's given them just exactly as much offensive production out of the quarterback position that they got out of Shea Patterson and may have gotten out of Shea Patterson, how he stayed in Oxford this season. So, Ole Miss is going to be pretty darn good. Will they stop anybody? I don't know, but that's a game that Ole Miss is going to go down to Baton Rouge and they're going to probably put up some points and LSU is going to have to compete with them. And are they going to be a team that's able to put enough points on? I know Brissett looked pretty good running the football and I know Joe Burrow, you know, looked competent, but we've yet to see him in a situation where he's had some adversity and he's facing a team where. Man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this. Like next Saturday, when I have to go down to the Plains against Auburn, then we'll find out just how good LSU is. But then again, we still may not know very much about them because it's going to be an LSU team that would have embarrassed Miami. And then potentially they can beat Auburn or lose Auburn. Then we'll see exactly what we can take from that. But I don't think you can take too much out of the first week or even first two weeks of the season. Like, wait, give it like four or five weeks. And then maybe we can make these like grand statements. I know with the way college football is nowadays that, it's not something you can do. You got to hot take it up, but I, just seriously, just wait and see how things work out. But you know, you got Florida on the road, you got Georgia at home, Mississippi State at home, Alabama at home, a And on the road, and this is at the point where everyone's like saying, "Oh, LSU, they could potentially." Well, not everyone. There's people out there who legitimately believe that LSU somehow could be a team that could compete in the SEC West, and that the SEC West is back. I mean, get yeah, look, Bama. Great win against Louisville, LSU, great win against Miami. Auburn obviously had the best win of the weekend in beating Washington in a top 10 showdown in Mercedes Benz Stadium. But outside of that, I mean, Ole Miss had a good win against Texas Tech, but Arkansas beat Eastern Illinois, Mississippi State, with Keaton Thompson starting in place of the suspended Nick Fitzgerald, beat Stephen F. Austin, and A&M beat Northwestern State on a Thursday night in Jimbo Fisher's debut. I think I'm going to reserve judgment for AM and like until this weekend when we see what Kellen Mond can do in Jimbo's offense against a Clemson defensive line and a Clemson defense and whether A&M's defense is tough enough to be able to – pound up against a Clemson team that has the type of running game that they have. And we'll see who starts at quarterback. it be Kelly Bryant. I mean, I'm sure he'll start, but we'll see how many kind of reps that Trevor Lawrence gets and who ends up finishing that game because this is one of those points in the season where people are talking about, if Clemson wants to reach their potential of being a team that could win a national championship, particularly given how freaking good Alabama is going to be to a quarterback this year, they're going to need Kelly Bryant either to get pushed by Trevor Lawrence to the point where... He's phenomenal or that Trevor Lawrence just takes the job and he gives them the ability to throw the ball and stretch the field and then still have that great running game. Now, he might not have the athletic ability running the football at the quarterback position like Kelly Bryant, but still, they're going to need him at some point if Clemson's going to want to win an now championship because I know how great the defensive line is. I mean, Alabama's offensive line, you know, there's some questions about them. They didn't face many issues against Louisville this weekend. We'll see. As SEC play goes around, particularly when they play at home against Mississippi State and they play at home against Auburn, how they handle those defensive lines, which are among the best in the country and not just the SEC, we'll see how that offensive line holds up. But Clemson's going to need a lot more than the defensive line. But one of my biggest takeaways from the weekend is the fact that defensive lines one out. one out in Auburn, one out with Virginia Tech and Florida State game, one out with LSU Miami. If you can get pressure on that quarterback, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback back there is you're going to be able to win a lot of f- football games. So we'll see moving forward with two who's going to have some mistakes as a true sophomore and a guy who's experience has yet to start – who's only started one game in his college career. We'll see. He's going to probably have some issues moving forward, but I doubt it's going to be to the point where Alabama is really going to be in trouble. And I'll close out with the whole overreactions from the college week, football weekend with this. With Jim Harbaugh, I'm not trying to be a Jim Harbaugh apologist, which exactly I am by sitting here – and talking about how people need lay layoff. But like seriously layoff. I mean, th- here's the facts. Yes. Jim Barbaugh is nine and nine in his last eighteen games. He has never finished above three and three in the Big Ten East. He has never won a division as a college football coach. Even back at Stanford, where he even won the Orange Bowl, he's never won a division. But he has taken his teams to BCS bowls and now near six bowls in the Orange Bowl. And I think he's done that twice because two years ago they lost to Florida State in the Orange Bowl. But since Jim Barbos has been at Michigan, like year one with Jake Rudock, who was a grad transfer from Iowa, they went 10-3 and that year. His first year after taking over for Brady Hoke, who we don't view as being a good coach, who took over for Rich Rodriguez, who was good at West Virginia, then was not so great at Michigan, then had his moments at Arizona, and now is out of a job as far as a head coach in college football. So that's the program he took over for in his first year at 10-3. and three. In year two, he had him at 10-1 and one with Wilton Spate at quarterback, who got hurt this past weekend of UCLA and is not going to be a good quarterback. Like, he's not that good. But he took Wilton Spate in that Michigan team, that had a bunch of veterans and a bunch of NFL players to 10-1, and one going on the road on Thanksgiving weekend to the Columbus, Ohio, to the Horseshoe, and lost a double overtime game to Ohio State. They win that game. They go to the Big Ten championship game. I think they beat Wisconsin. They're in the playoff. I don't know if they win the a championship, but either way, I thought Michigan that year was the best team, and the team that did win the Big Ten was Penn State, who they beat by 39 points, and that's the Penn State team I was saying, oh, we should have been in the playoff. Well, you lost by 39 to Michigan, so how good were you? And then people talk about, oh, well, they had the injuries that game. Last time I checked, Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley, the two most important players, both played in that game, and they still lost by 39. They still only scored 10 points against the Michigan defense. So, how great was Penn State that year? I mean, they were a good enough team that went to the Rose Bowl and lost to USC and, and won 11 games. I mean, they won 11 games back to back years. And people act as if Jim Harbaugh has gone 8 and 8 or 8 and 5 rather every year. I mean, they went 8 and 5 last year. In his 12 losses, now 28 and 12 at Michigan. And we'll kind of exclude this Notre Dame game because we don't know how Notre Dame's going to finish. But Jim Harbaugh has, let, has yet to lose to a team outside of 2016 loss in Iowa City. At a field goal to Iowa, they've yet to lose a game to a team that finished outside of the top twenty-five in the regular season outside of the Iowa game, and we're not even counting bowl games because South Carolina was not ranked when they beat them this past year. But the only time they lost to an unranked opponent to finish the season was Iowa back in 2016, the same year that they were ten and one heading into Columbus with an opportunity to win the Big Ten East and go to the Big Ten Championship game and to potentially the College Football Playoff. So in less than two years, Jim Harbaugh had. Michigan, two games away from the college football playoff. But then, one season and a weekend uh, removed from that, we're all talking about how Jim Harbaugh, is, you know, the heart, he's starting to be on the hot seat. Like, oh, Michigan paid all that money for this guy. I mean, it's not like they hired Nick Saban or Urban Meyer. Like, Jim Harbaugh was a good football coach. He took the 49 Super Bowl. We all know his credentials. But he hadn't won a national championship. It wasn't like he was a multiple national championship winning coach when Michigan hired him. But he's a hell of a lot better than Brady Hoke and then Rich Rodriguez. And I think eventually he'll be a whole lot better than Lloyd Carr. So to sit here and to judge Jim Harbaugh off of finishing third in the Big Ten East, I mean, t- people are talking about how this is the best division in college football up until this past weekend when the SEC West went 7-0. Like, since he's gotten there, Ohio State has won and nat- has what? Been to the nat- – they've been to the playoff, what, twice? Not twice. Ohio State – so the first year that he got there, Ohio State – was coming off a national championship, they won like eleven games and went all the way to what? They lost to the they went to the Fiesta Bowl and played Notre Dame. The year after that, they went to the playoff, went what eleven and one, went to the playoff, lost to Clemson, got shut out, and then last year, Ohio State won the Big Ten championship. Michigan State went to the playoff his first year there in on Arbor. The next year, they went three and nine. The only time they beat Michigan State, remember one and five against Michigan State, and Ohio State. The only time they beat Michigan State is when they were 3-9, and nine, which is an indictment on Jim Harbaugh not beating his rivals. And then last year, Michigan State won 10 games. Um, Penn State, who they've had—I think they have—Penn State, they have a winning record against. They beat Penn State. They're 2-1 and one against Penn State. First year, Penn State goes with 7-6, then they go 11-3, and three, win the Big Ten, the same year that they beat them by 39. And then last year, they get flown out in Happy Valley, and Penn State wins 11 games. So you have three other teams in your division that have either been to the playoff or been right there in the playoff conversation. And Michigan has been in the playoff conversation one of those years and people act as if he's hasn't done enough. I mean, he hasn't won big yet in Michigan, but is being 28 and 12 in your first three years plus a week, is that not, is that not good? Like people act as if, like I said, act like he's going eight and four every year, like seven and five. He's right there. It, it takes time to build a program Urban Meyer has already been there at Ohio State. He's already won an national championship before Jim Harbaugh. He had even stepped foot on campus at Michigan, again, to be the head coach. Mark D'Antonio had already built his program there. Now, James Franklin, Penn State, they're a year ahead of what Jim Harbaugh did, and they won earlier than Jim Harbaugh. They've yet to go to the playoff yet, but they've won a back-to-back 111 one But after what happened on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon against App State, if they struggle the rest of the way. People are going to start questioning, oh, you know, how good is Penn State? So I, I just don't understand how you're going to grade Jim Harbaugh as being like a failure when he's in one of the toughest divisions, at least when you're looking at those teams. Also, Big Ten East, you know, you're running a crap on Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan. Maryland beat Texas, who for whatever reason was ranked in the top 25 to start the season, who people are talking about is going to contend against Oklahoma. So can we give uh, Maryland a shout-out? A program that's like in shambles, I mean, still is, it was considered in shambles a week ago, beats Texas, who people are trying to consider back, even though Tom Herman still doesn't have a quarterback. And they haven't had a quarterback since Colt McCoy and maybe David Ash. Had he not had the concussions, would have been an okay quarterback for them. But he was never going to be a guy who could have won a national championship for them. Until Texas gets a quarterback, they're not going to be that good. So maybe let's give Maryland some credit because they are a big 10 too. I just think people need to you know calm down with the hardball hot takes. It's not like he's going to get fired this year. I mean, even if Michigan goes 3-9, and nine, they're not going to run him out of town. It would be a big problem for him going into year 5 next year because if he struggles again, maybe they think about it. But then again, like what is mission gonna do? Who are they gonna get that's gonna be better than what Jim Harbaugh offers him right now? That's the real question. Okay, so on the other side, Gary Grambling, Sports Illustrated Monday morning quarterback preview the NFL season. What the hell is John Gruden thinking? It's Julian Council Show. When the big stories break, Ryan Hartman has been traded to the Predators. Ryan Hartman is twenty three years of age, and established financial, and he fits all the boxes that we were looking for. <laughs> Are here to
1: deliver. Titans are released to Marco Murray, and they are going with Derek Henry
0: as their lead running back. Nashville's best sports talk is
1: ESPN 102
0: The Game. All right, as promised, Gary Grambling, uh, Sports Illustrated Monday morning quarterback. NFL season starting up Thursday night. Atlanta Falcons on the road against the defending Super Bowl champ, Philadelphia Eagles. But, Gary, Let's not start there. I need you to ask her one question for me, and really only one ca- question, and maybe we can even end yeah. this. What in the world is John Gruden thinking getting rid of Khalil Mack?
1: It's, I, I guess the thing that kind of blows your mind uh, with this is yeah. it, I think you can make the argument, look, we've stunk on defense for years with Khalil Mack. We need a total rebuild on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, paying this guy uh, basically what what is a quarterback type of type of contract, and we already are paying Derek Carr his second contract. You can make those arguments. The thing that bothers me and bothers a lot of people, uh, as my colleague Connor Orr is, he has steam shooting out of his ears for the past 72 hours. Uh, they didn't seem to make the effort. Like, like there was no communication. Gruden didn't reach out. You know, all these holdouts. Uh, you know, Aaron Donald, and 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 you know it, the Rams were in touch with him. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. But the first thing Pat Shermer did was was start a uh, text chain with uh, with Odell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just no there was no personal touch uh, between Gruden and objectively his best player, uh, and that's what's gotta. I mean, that's what's gotta. Yeah, I... got really like twist the knife for Raiders fan.
0: Yeah, because I saw reports. I feel like a, a month ago, it's talking about like he had never spoken to Khalil Mack, and I'm like, wait, how is that even possible when you have the two, you know, bedrocks of your franchise and Derek Carr, who we already knew he loved from you know him just gassing Carr up on Monday Night Football to Khalil Mack, and you don't speak to one of them. That made no sense, particularly the one who's looking for a new contract. And then when it's all said and done, Gruden acts as if like it wasn't his own decision when well, no one could really sit there and, and look at Reggie McKenzie and think that Reggie McKenzie had a lot to play in yeah. the role of getting rid of Khalil Mack. <laughs> that's Reggie
1: McKenzie's legacy right there. Right. Uh, I mean, that, that had to kill him to make that deal. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, so much of this to me is, is also Gruden. I mean, Gruden's been telling anyone who will listen, uh, oh, this roster stinks. Obviously, he has no, you know, whatever, you can say it stinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think back to the old Rex Ryan thing. Rex Ryan uh, arrives in Buffalo and starts telling everyone we're going to the Super Bowl or, or whatever he was saying, and then people believe it. Uh, that roster needs a lot of work. Rex should not have done that. He should not have built those expectations in. Uh, Gruden's, I guess, cynically taking the the opposite tack, which is which is probably the smart tack at this point. Sort of buying himself some time, and and now that Khalil Mack is gone, I mean that's a, that's a clear rebuild. That's that's a bottom five team clearly in in the NFL now.
0: Yeah, and I guess to Rex's credit, at least he took the Jets to back to back AFC championships, and we'll see. You know, if Gruden, who's never really had success at building his own team, can be able to turn things mm-hmm. around once they move out to Las Vegas. If you're expecting it to be a rebuild, I think one thing that people haven't really talked about since the trade with the Bears, giving up to what the Bears giving up two first round picks, is. What does this say about Chicago now? That's had a lot of guys come over in free agency to where their you know immediate future is as far as whether they're trying to compete in an NFC North and an NFC in itself that's loaded.
1: Yeah, I mean that that division is so tough. I I, I honestly think they're still the fourth best team in that division. Obviously, you know I, I could you could squint and say okay I could see them uh, you know maybe Kirk Cousins has some issues melding with with the new guys in Minnesota. Maybe the Vikings slide back a bit. Maybe you know that Packers defense still can't get it right. Maybe the, uh, uh, the Lions, even with the new and improved run game, uh, it doesn't quite have it. But if you're handicapping it, I still think the Bears are clearly number four in that division, which uh, in the end, though, if you're Ryan Pace, is the Bears GM, uh, you had no choice. You have, to, you have to build up around Trubisky while Trubisky is on that cheap rookie deal. That's, that's the rookie wage scale uh that's the way the league is set up now. When you have that rookie quarterback, you have to you have to pounce then. Uh so that's why they're spending big and I don't really think it says anything. You know, I I think a lot of people are saying, you know, oh this shows they really believe in Trubisky. Uh if you're Ryan Pace you have no choice but to believe in Trubisky. If Trubisky's a bust after Glendon was a bust, you're yeah. losing your job anyway. <laughs> uh so the only way you can you know you can survive this is, is to string, string together sometime in the next three years or so a, uh, a legitimate, uh, let's say, playoff contender. The NFC is stacked, uh, so I don't know how high they go. But uh, they're there. They're knocking on the door. But I just kind of feel like this is still a 7-9, and 8-8 eight, eight eight type of
0: team. Yeah, and I guess we'll, we'll move forward to another player in Le'Veon Bell who's yet to report to camp. I know it was what one of the Pouncy brothers said yesterday, I guess on um, Tuesday as we're taping this on Wednesday, that – he expected Le'Veon Bell to be there um, here Wednesday as we're taping. Le'Veon Bell's yet to show up. His agent's been making the rounds on Sirius XM, NFL Radio. He's been on, on ESPN, NFL Live, basically talking about Le'Veon Bell likely is not going to be there this week and no one's really sure when he's going to show up. How do you see that situation playing out? And also, I've been looking at, you know, looking at the NFC North and you're saying that the Lions, not the Lions, that the, the Bears are going to be the fourth place team. I'm looking at Detroit Lions and I know they just got Carry on Johnson out of Auburn in the second round. But don't they seem like a team that should be calling Pittsburgh and figuring out a way to work out a deal with Le'Veon Bell long-term considering how that offense could really use a running back like him who's so versatile?
1: I I just wonder if there really is enough of a market for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Are you going to give up a draft pick and pay him? Uh, That would be the idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I can't see anyone viewing Le'Veon Bell right now as more valuable than the Steelers actually view him. I, I, I know the Steelers are not going to do the long-term deal, and and uh, you know they're they're exercising the franchise tag. Whenever you think of the franchise tag, it exists, and uh, this is the kind of leverage a team gets. Uh, I I hmm. I'd like to see it. I mean, I I am also the biggest Lions uh, bandwagon guy going right now. I, I think they're a dark horse contender in the NFC, but uh, a team like that when you have to give a draft fix and give a long-term deal to a guy who's at the kind of workload Bell has had over the last couple of years. And I know some some uh, some people around the league are concerned about the fact that uh, Bell did not, uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he did not have, I think 27 was his longest run last year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not turn in a lot of big plays. I, I think some people are, are thinking it's the start of the back nine for him. Uh, I just don't think the market's going to be there. I guess we'll find out for sure uh next summer but uh yeah i you know good for him for for sitting out i I think he will sit out till the absolute last minute and and i don't know uh specifically when that would be uh i don't know if he'll play week one i i think he'll make himself available for week one uh but he won't go through the prep he'll sign that franchise tender. he's got to sign the franchise tender because uh otherwise he's he's leaving a million dollars on the table yeah exactly and, uh if you want to get paid that's that's not that's not a that's not a good move at all but uh you know he's this franchise tag works against the players so much and no more so than the running back. So uh good for Le'Veon for for sticking to his guns here and and uh, and making the Steelers squirm a little bit.
0: Yeah, how fair is the franchise tag? Because his agent did go on ESPN NFL Live and say how he feels like the the NF, you know franchise tag does not work. I think back to situations like with um Josh Norman with the Carolina Panthers back when he had his franchise tag rescinded. Norman's at the age of, what, 28, 29 at the time where he was looking for a long-term deal, but Dave Gettleman, the former GM of the Panthers, was saying, well, I don't really value cornerbacks the same way I value what he calls hog mollies in defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. So he didn't want to pay Norman, who they're basically going to hold hostage, I mean, if he decides to sign sign the franchise tag and not be a free agent, to where these guys get to a point where they want to cash out, but teams are like, well, in our best interest we don't want to pay you even though you are certainly worth more than a franchise tag.
1: I mean, I hate the franchise tag because it, it, it's not... so you know, it used to be... Uh, the idea when it came out was the John Elway rule. It was use it on a franchise player. Now it's just used on an appendix free agent. Uh, exactly. I mean, look, it, they're not going to change it. Uh, ownership likes it too much and the players have to give up too much in the next CBA in order to uh, eliminate it. But uh, it would be nice if Franchise tag played, paid the guy if Le'Veon Bell got paid like a quarterback or something like this, or even if you just want to split it into quarterback and non-quarterback, uh, you know some of these positions it just it, it doesn't fit. tight end is another one where uh, it just doesn't pay that much even though we're we're in a league uh, where you know tight ends are, are essentially supersized wide receivers in a, in a lot of teams. Um, yeah, it's 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 a rule that sort of uh, I believe Ozzie Newsom was the first one who who started using it on non quarterbacks and that sort of opened this Pandora's box and and now uh you know fifteen years later here we are.
0: Yeah, and you talked about your you're big on the lines. You have them uh, actually losing to the Green Bay Packers there in the NFC North. Looks like you're pretty big on the NFC North having three teams coming out of that instead of the NFC South. And we'll get to them in a minute, who had three teams last year in the playoffs. Yeah, the Packers win the Super Bowl and everything I read out of Green Bay is that Aaron Rodgers hates his wide receivers. He's mad about Jordy Nelson, but he's pretty happy now that he's got that money why do you like Green Bay? Cuz it feels like every year I know Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. Probably they should have won more with him than they have. But why do you like Green Bay looking at how bad well, that defense has been lately?
1: Yeah, I, and I'll start on the defensive side of the ball. Um when you look around the league, if if you were and, and Andy Benoit and I have done this on our uh, on our podcast, uh we rank the you know we rank the top guys each position and when you're ranking the cornerbacks, uh last year the the top 20 uh, I think five of them were either first or second year guys. I think that's where you can turn around defense. And when you're talking about Mike Pett, uh, you need cover guys. The Packers have three of them, and we don't know for sure. They might all be busts, and then the Packers are back to square one, and they they stink defensively again, and they go ten and six, and they're 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 one or two and done. Uh, but between uh, Jari Alexander, uh, Kevin King, the second year guy, and then Josh Jackson, the 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 ball skills guy there who's probably going to have five interceptions this year. Uh, if one or, or two of them emerge as sort of true number one or, or sort of fringe number one guys, that completely changes what they have defensively there. And I think they go from being uh, what would be a C-minus defense to probably like a B-plus defense. Uh, I think that's well within reason, uh, especially with the, with the kind of draft capital that they've uh, invested in these guys and, and really uh, they just they missed a cornerback. They missed a cornerback a bunch of times in a row, DeMarius Randall, uh Quentin Rollins, uh and you know with, with what Dom Capers did uh which was fairly similar to to what uh Mike Pettine does now, uh it, you couldn't afford to miss on cornerbacks like that. Uh as far as Rodgers goes, uh I know he's bummed about Jordy Nelson. Yeah. I would argue uh, bringing in Jimmy Graham is is he's such a better fit with Rogers. And if you look over the last two years, when Jared Cook was in the lineup, uh, he was obviously hurt a lot. Uh, when Martellus Bennett was in the lineup, uh, the Packers were, fourteen and four when those two guys were healthy. So when they have that sort of flex tight end, it just adds another dimension to that offense that they, uh, you know, they can get stagnant because of what they do and they sort of rely on Rogers to make out of structure plays so much. Uh, when they have that sort of flex chess piece type of tight end like Jimmy Graham is, uh, it really just uh, it takes them to the next level offensively. But what, I think they're going to win. Uh, no, sorry, go
0: ahead, Julian. Yeah, no, I mean, I I like because that was my one of my big questions was you know after watching Jimmy Graham leave New Orleans to go to Seattle, where I, I don't feel like he really fit there. I mean, felt like Luke Wilson fit better in their scheme than Jimmy Graham did. My one, I was wondering if he would fit well with Rodgers. Sounds like he will, but you know. For them, we know Aaron Rodgers is great. We know Jimmy Graham is great. We know that they still have some sort of weapons on the outside, but can they run the football enough to be a Super Bowl contender?
1: Oh, I think you can run enough. Uh, once uh, They have a good offensive line. Uh, between those three backs, uh, Jamal Williams and, and Aaron Jones are, are probably their top two in, in, in some combination. I think Ty Montgomery is more of a, uh, a move-around guy this year, but uh, I think there's enough there. And especially, I mean, look, with that passing game, it's not like they need to be dominant on the ground. Uh, everyone's going to be geared up to uh, to deal with Aaron Rodgers, and, and you know I I think they'll be fine. Uh, that that is a good point you bring up though. When the Seahawks got Jimmy Graham, I think they had some visions of basically improving him as a blocker, like the coaches would make him better as a blocker, and it just never really came. It, you know, it, it never happened. Um, I think the Packers go into this with their eyes wide open with, with what Jimmy Graham can do and what he can't do. and I think it's going to be a, a better situation for, for him and for them.
0: Yeah, Gareth, so this. If you're, um, your NFC projections work out, Viking fans are going to be pissed because now they paid all that money to Kirk Cousins. You would think that the uh, expectations would be Super Bowl, at least in these next three years. But after what happened last year where they were so close to getting to the Super Bowl and hosting at home, you would think that, I mean, they would not be happy watching Green Bay not only, I guess, win a division, but go to the Super Bowl and win it. What do you think, I mean, Minnesota-wise? You, I mean, their expectations had to be Super Bowl bust, right?
1: Hey, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be it's gonna be a bummer for uh, for Kirk Cousins here because he's going to be judged solely on what happens in January. Uh, I mean, the defense is so good. I, I love the Sheldon Richardson-Prove-It-Deal uh, signing they had. I, I, I think he is a uh, – he he is a – Game changer when he's actually uh, on the field and then focused and, and doing the things he he has to do. Uh, as far as cousins go, I, it's really just a it's part a chemistry thing, but it's also part. I, I don't want to say Kirk Cousins is a gunslinger. That's probably overstating it, but uh, he's a guy who is prone to mistakes. He'll take chances that he shouldn't make. He'll he'll trust his arm when he shouldn't trust his arm. Uh, and it's gotten him into trouble. I mean, you know, Redskins fans will will tell you about two years ago when they lost that game to the Giants, that he forced a couple throws into the secondary, uh, and, and, you know, they end up falling out of the playoff picture. Uh, Gosh, you could see it happening in January. I love quarterbacks who who are aggressive and who do try and move the ball uh, down the field. I think he's... I think he's ultimately just just sort of a, a step behind physically where some of these other top guys in NSD are. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though, <laughs> and it really is. It's going to come down to uh, he's got to win in January or, or he's going to be considered a boss.
0: Yeah, and I hate it for him because I really think Kirk Cousins is, you know, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I know Mike Sandoz from ESPN does the quarterback tiers, and he had him as like a tier three quarterback tied of Alex Smith, and Alex Smith is the guy who I feel like has always gotten you know a bad rap because he was what number one quarterback, number two quarterback, whatever that was in that draft, and he hasn't won a Super Bowl, and he hasn't. He did mm-hmm. stay with San Francisco, but all he's done in his career is win. Like it's not his fault that when they went to Indianapolis in a playoff game, his defense didn't stop Andrew Luck, and that they lost that game. And I think um, Kansas City, and it, it sounds like you like Mahomes, you don't have them in there. I think Kansas City this season is going to really be upset about the fact that I mean, they're going to not be upset, but they're going to regret the fact that they got rid of Alex Smith when Pat Mahomes is going to have a lot of those really rookie mistakes this his first year starting that Alex Smith did not have over the last couple of years. And so what do you think I mean, about Mahomes and the Chiefs moving forward, and, and I guess the AFC West as a whole? Because the Chargers are a team that people are really high on for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the char- I, I understand why people are high on the Chargers. I always say Chargers, I, I got to see it first because they – it's, it's not even like they blow games or they can't close games. They just, when they do blow games, they, they do it in just the most bizarre way. The, the holder botches, a snap, uh, a running back just fumbles during a clock-killing drive, uh, just stuff like that. So they they should, I mean, look, the Chargers on paper should be uh, in 11-5 team and win that division. Uh, but like I said, I'd, I'd like to see it first. The Chiefs are the wild card. If the Chiefs could get to January... In that AFC bracket, I, I, gosh, I I love Patrick Mahomes, I really do, and I do think they made the right move, uh, uh, moving on, and and, and Alex Smith, uh, for all the positives, and and look, he, he's a great guy, he's a, he's the kind of guy you want in your locker room, teammates love him, uh, everyone who's ever played with him will will defend him. Uh, you just look at it, you look at what Nick Foles did last year, mm-hmm. where. The Eagles basically said, uh, "Okay, we just unleash it. Let's go score some points." Uh, you know, we he dropped, uh, you know, he dropped a ton on the Vikings, and then they got the Super Bowl, and it was basically he had to outscore Tom Brady, and, and he did it, and, and he took a lot of chances. He, he, you know, he, he tried to fit in tight window throws, which is what you have to do uh, in order to uh, to take advantage of basically all these rules that that so heavily favor the offense across the league now. That's where Alex Smith always kind of came up short. He was more aggressive last year, but a lot of it was the fact that Tyree Hill was was running 15 yards beyond any defender, and then whoever your quarterback is, uh, you're going to be aggressive at that point. He's not a guy who sort of makes those anticipatory uh, throw-guys-open type of throws, and and that's really where uh, I I think the Chiefs ultimately got. (sighs) Frustrated might be overstating it, but I think they kind of realized this might not be the guy to get us to that next level, uh, you know, to topple the Patriots. And, and, you know, obviously they get to the playoffs every year and they just they don't go deep enough.
0: Yeah, I just feel like, I mean, with Kansas City, it's it's hard to look at, I mean, Smith having a career year last year and then, of course, they get rid of Marcus Peters. You lost, arguably, your two best players from a year ago and you don't have them in the playoffs, but a lot of people. I mean, I think one of your colleagues had the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. I can't. I think so. <laughs> I think we
1: had two. I think Robert Klemko <laughs> and Mitch Goldich both – uh uh, both like the Chiefs and the Super Bowl. I honestly, if they get to January, and and if they get to January, that means Patrick Mahomes probably had a pretty good season because I don't think their defense is very good. Exactly. Uh, I I could I would step on that bandwagon.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not sure I'm buying anyone outside of New England, but we'll uh, we'll get to them. Yeah, let's go back to the NFC real quick because the the NFC South, I guess, is considered by a lot of people potentially to be the best division in football. As we go at the NFL, things are i mean so cyclical. They change year to year, so it's very hard to have, make one of those blanket statements saying that a division is the best because last year, 30 of the teams made the playoffs when this year, only one of them, like you have, is you think will make the playoffs for the, the Atlanta Falcons, who I think is the best team. But New Orleans Saints are a team that's pretty popular amongst a lot of people, and you don't have the Saints making the playoffs. Why do you see New Orleans taking a step back?
1: I didn't. Uh, boy, I, and, and look, there's... there's there's like ninety. I don't have a great, uh, great defense for leaving the Saints out of uh, out of my playoff picture here. Yeah, uh, I do like the Lions in there. I, I like the Lions as a dark horse, and I like the Falcons winning that division. Uh, to me, the, the, the Saints, I I worry a little bit about the the defense playing as well as it did, as it did a year ago. Uh, I do like what Dennis Allen does. I like the fact that they have a, a, a true number one corner now in Marshall Lattimore, which has been an issue there for so many years. Uh, and I, you know, I worry about. Uh, it sounds ridiculous, but I do worry a little bit about Drew Brees, and and you know, is there going to be a, a sharper physical decline at, at some point here? Uh, obviously, what they did defensively and what they did running the ball last year took a lot of pressure off Brees, uh, and then when they needed him, he was he was obviously good enough in January. Um, I'm squinting here, and and I'm forcing it a little bit uh, so I, I can get my lions uh, lines taken under foul in There, but uh, uh, I'm not too far down on the Saints. I, I'm not gonna, you know, if someone wants to say the Saints are, are the NFC favorite, uh, I, I can I can agree with that. I can't uh, really counter that too aggressively. Um, I just worry a little bit that they uh, they might have maxed out last year.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think they're a team that had they gotten past Minnesota and Marcus Williams makes that tackle or, you know, mm-hmm. Stephon Diggs somehow magically trips. I think they go to Philadelphia. I think they win that game, and honestly, I think they win a the Super Bowl, and that would have been a great way for Drew Brees to go out on top. I do love the, the fact that they traded for Teddy Bridgewater, just because I feel like everyone out there in the football world is rooting for Teddy to do well, and I'm hoping yep. he's going to be their quarterback in the future. But, you know, I can understand what you're talking about there, because, I mean, Drew Brees is up at an age where it's not like he's Tom Brady and has Alex Guerrero on the TB12 method and seems like he's never <laughs> aging. so and, and you
1: can tell he's, that – Need those special
0: pajamas? Yeah, and you you can tell that he's not exactly. He still he can still win you a game or two, you know, by on his arm alone. But it's not like he can go out there and do it like he was doing in the last couple of years before getting that running game finally. And, and I'm from Charlotte, so I mean, I grew up going to Panthers games. That's my team. I'm not going to be one of those crazy Panther homers like a lot of people out there. And I see my friends who do sports radio there in Charlotte who are still high on this team. I, for one, am not particularly high in Carolina because I'm looking at the offensive line and the issues they've had there seeing guys like Amini Silatola get hurt in the preseason. They have Matt Khalil is going to be on the IR, even though I don't think much of him. But still, he's a guy that Dave Gettleman gave a lot of money to be your starting left tackle. Daryl Williams mm-hmm. who somehow dislocated his knee and tore his MCL and is, like, practicing. I don't know how that's possible. I don't love, personally, I don't love the marriage. North Turner is absolutely Cam Newton's best offensive coordinator, and that doesn't say a lot about the guys who came before him, even though Zenti did parlay that into a job at the Browns for a season. But I don't really love this Panthers team this year because I don't know if that marriage is really going to work out that well. I don't know how the offensive line is going to hold up. And they, he might have the most weapons he's ever had, but really how good are the guys on the outside for Cam Newton at offense? So what are your thoughts on the Panthers this season?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if the Chiefs are sort of the most volatile team in the AFC, like it, you can see the Chiefs going 5-11, and 11, you can see them going 11-5, and five. Uh, I think the Panthers are that in the NFC. I think the one thing that people are overlooking a little bit with the Panthers is uh, – uh you know last year under under Steve Wilkes they suddenly went from the least blitz happy team in the NFL to the most blitz happy team in the NFL. I, I think they literally led the league in blitz percentage last year which was which was bizarre and it sort of caught opponents off guard early last year and then in the second half of the year teams were like okay well you're blitzing now and you're leaving uh six back there instead so of seven like you used to and 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 you especially thought when oh, they played the Saints late in the year mm-hmm. uh you know, and Drew Brees just just picked that apart. Uh, I do think the new guy there, Eric Washington, T Wilkes obviously out in Arizona now. Uh, Eric Washington as a coordinator, he's been there for a while. I think it's going to be back to what uh, they had under McDermott there, uh, where it's going to be rush for uh, seven back there. One of those Luke Keekly, so if you know Luke Keekly, you're you're in sub package, but you're not in sub package. Uh, ditto with, with Shaq Thompson or. Once Thomas Davis comes back, I think the defense might be dominant again. Uh, and then it really comes down to, uh, yeah, the Norv Turner thing. I, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I, I, am not gonna project anything with the uh, with Norv Turner. He was out of football for a year. Uh, you've seen some of these guys. Like I, I was thinking, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien ran the same offense with Patriot, the Patriots, at Penn State, with uh, with Brock Osweiler, with with whoever else he added in Houston, and then. All of a sudden, week three last year, it's, he completely rolls out something different. It's a spread misdirection stuff that he's never done before. Right. Uh, Nor Turner was out of football for a year and a half. You know, when, when things went bad in Minnesota, it was because the offensive line fell apart. I wonder if he spent that year and a half sort of. And these guys, when they're out of football, they just they travel around and they pick guys' brains. And, and I know that's what Turner was doing. Um, I wonder if he comes back a change, man. Because if he does, I mean, look, McCaffrey's McCaffrey is obviously a, a very interesting out of that backfield. Uh, DJ Moore, if people are excited about. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see this fall. Uh, and then with Cam, you know, Cam is is so streaky as a thrower. Uh, you know, if he's on, you, you could. You know, I, I don't want to say he's going to have another MVP season, but uh, he could approach that. Uh, you know, that's what he was in 2015. Then it then it was sort of the bad streak in 2016. He was somewhere in between last year. I thought he had a much better uh, season than than people uh, give him credit for. Uh, but you know, if he can sort of be somewhere between 2017 and 2015, let's say, and uh, the defense does what the defense is capable of doing, uh, they're right there too. So I mean, you're right. If NFC South is stacked. I would take the North over it. Just I think the Bucks are on the verge of collapse here. But yeah, um, Panthers. I. I don't think it takes too much of a stretch to get excited about the Panthers here. Uh, and I think the the biggest thing working against them is you get good cam or bad cam, or I should say how much good cam do you get this year? And uh, on top of that, you know, are the Saints and Falcons going to be uh, a, a couple of uh, uh, top teams in the NFC? And, and does that squeeze you out?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I could absolutely see them – Going seven and nine and missing the playoffs, and then going like 11 and five, maybe 12 and four, and winning a division and being a team that would potentially be a Super Bowl contender. It's just, you, like you said, they're volatile. And I saw your colleague Connor Orr hadn't won the Super Bowl. I'm just not one. I'm just one of those Panther fans who kind of takes a while before I'm really going to buy into yeah. the team being really <laughs> that good. Cause even all that year where they went 15 and one, I'm like, how in the world is he doing this with Ted Ginn yep. and Jericho Kotchery and Philly Brown? And then they got to the Super Bowl and was like, yeah, it was bound to happen because these guys on the outside really weren't that good, but they did play one of the greatest defenses probably in NFL history. Um, Let's move to the AFC South, you know, serve some of these Titan fans who are yelling right now as they listen to this podcast. Like, why why haven't we heard anything about the Titans? (laughs) Um, You have, uh, you know, the, the week one opponent, you have the Dolphins in the playoff, which is actually interesting, but you also have the Texans and the Jags, the Jags winning division in the playoffs. So why do you see Houston taking that step up after I guess all the injuries? I, I'm assuming maybe them getting healthy, and then Jackson Waters be able to repeat. But why don't you? Why do you hate the Titans, Gary? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say I, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm throwing darts at a Marcus Mariota dartboard right now. Uh, I actually so when we uh, when we first discussed this like back in back in early August in our staff, uh, I thought I was going to. Pick the Titans to make the playoffs. Uh, it, it was Titans or Texans was going to get the that second spot out of the AFC South, as far as I was concerned. I sort of backed off the Titans because of all the all the, they're they're just they had a rough summer. Everyone was just sort of banged up. I know there were no yep. catastrophic uh, ACL tears or anything like that, but uh, uh, Morgan Arakpo, uh, Rashawn Evans. I mean, has he been on the field yet? Nope. Uh, you know, all, all these guys who I love. Mike Brable's system. I love the personnel he has for that system. Uh, I just I don't know if they can, I don't know if they had time to get ready. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be ready for week one here. I, I think it might be a slow start for this defense and and you know that diamond front where they where they get the uh, the five pass rushers basically in one on one matchups with the five offensive linemen and and you know you remember Whitney merciless used to just Destroy whether it was a guy off the edge or they match him up. Uh, whenever they went up to New England, they get merciless matched up on David Andrews and he just absolutely wrecked David Andrews uh, snap after snap. Uh, I, I don't know if they're if the Titans are quite ready to do that right now. You love what they have on the back end, uh, the cornerbacks and fired, and, and and even Kenny Vaccaro has probably had enough time to uh, uh, to make something of an impact early on here. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was just sort of a a slow start here. And then you're just, you know, obviously the big question is, is Mariota? Uh, what kind of step forward did he take? Uh, you love Matt LaFleur's, uh, resume and his pedigree. Uh, now it's his time to sort of shine here. Um, you worry about the lack of team speed offensively too. Uh, I, I am a, I am a, a Taiwan Taylor believer and I'm a, I'm a big Dion Lewis believer. Um, Corey Davis really has to step up as a true number one for for uh, this offense to be able to do the type of stuff that – and I don't
0: want to – I mean, that's hope, say, Gary. Like Gary, let's. And sorry to cut you off. I mean, I'm looking at his receiving core, and this has to be one of the bottom five receiving cores in the league because Corey Davis, he was unhealthy healthy last year. I understand he's got to step up, be the number one wide receiver, but if you're really looking at it, their number one receiver is Rashard Matthews, who had a meniscus tear that he had to come back from. He hasn't even been there all offseason. Taywan Taylor was, what, a – third, fourth-round pick out of Western Kentucky. He looks like he could be doing, could do something for them. But you look around, Darius Jennings made the roster. Cameron Batson's really there to play special teams. Uh, offensively, Mariota needs to have weapons around him because I don't really see him ever yeah. being that great of a quarter, like being a guy who can, like a like a Rodgers, like a Breeze, like a Brady, who can just have whoever, and they can roll out there, and they're going to win 10, 11 games. He's got to have weapons around him. I just don't, after outside of Deion Lewis and Delaney Walker, and Matthews, I guess if he's healthy. I just don't know how many guys on this offense are gonna be reliable enough for him this season.
1: I mean, you kind of look at it and and this is why it all comes down to Davis for me. Uh and again, I don't wanna I don't wanna play up the Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay comparisons too much because that's I mean, that's unfair to LaFleur. He's happened to work under uh the two hottest coaches in, in the NFL, that doesn't mean he, he should be expected to do the exact same thing here. Uh, but you look at what the Rams have last year in, in their receiving core. They had Sammy Watkins, who, who really was, he was probably a half a step slower than they expected he'd be going in. And then after Watkins, you have Robert Woods, you have Cooper Cup. I don't think, you know, going in, if you said, okay, well, Sammy Watkins is going to be sort of a, almost a shell of his former self. Uh, do you like these receivers? I, I don't think anyone would have liked those receivers for Jared Goff. Uh, but Sammy Watkins, especially early on, was, was, was basically, teams were still respecting him as a number one, and that sort of opened things up for the other guys. Uh, if Corey Davis demands that respect this year, that that changes what they have. And then, you know, you have some window dressing types of it. The screen game, uh, you figure this team is going to be really good in the screen game, just like the Rams were, just like Falcons were right. uh, when the floor was there two years ago. Um, and that can sort of uh, uh, patch up some holes there a little bit. But uh, to me, it's, it's really it's got to be Corey Davis. has got to be... Uh, uh, he's got to break out this year.
0: Okay, um, so you have the Texans, Jags in the playoffs. You also have Andrew Luck being comeback player of the year. What are your thoughts? Guess on the rest of the AFC South? Then.
1: Oh boy, you know I think Luck's going to have a huge year statistically. Uh, I think this might be, and this is saying something concerning what they've had uh, over in Indianapolis. I think this might be the worst team he's been on. Uh, there are just they are full rebuilds with that defense. I mean that defense is going to be the worst in football. Uh, Matt Everflus might pull off uh, some incredible uh, uh, project here. I, I just don't see it. I don't see how they're going to stop anyone. Uh, as for the rest of the AFC South, the Texans, the, the, the one reason I, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on the Texans, uh, I think they really caught teams off guard when, when they rolled out uh, that sort of misdirection spread stuff week three last year, starting with the Patriots game with Deshaun. Uh, I love Deshaun. I think Deshaun's going to be uh, uh, an absolute star for uh, for the next 10 years here. But I wonder how much more they were able to build in while he was essentially rehabbing his ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, know, you, you wonder if that, that put them behind the eight ball just a little bit, because now teams are, are expecting the spread stuff and the misdirection stuff that they showed last year. And uh, it, it, you know you lose that element of surprise. You kind of saw that happen with the Chiefs last year when they got the good season and then they went in that slump. Um, and then uh, yeah, the I the Jaguars winning it. The defense. I do think Blake Bortles takes a uh, something of a step forward this year, and and that's enough with what they uh, they have on the other side of the ball.
0: Okay, so you have the Steelers getting back there, listening to the Patriots again. Um, quickly explain because I want to get you out of here. We've been going on for a while. Um, Dolphins. I, I've been going off yeah. a Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm hijacking your afternoon. Um, <laughs> okay, so Dolphins, who the Titans play week one, you have them in the playoffs. And last time, Ryan Tannehill, he was healthy for a full season, even though he did get hurt at the end of that season. Matt Moore had to come in and start the playoff game in Pittsburgh, which they lost. And Matt Moore seemed to have lost his brain in that game as well, unfortunately. Tannehill was not terrible, and they went to the playoffs, like I said. so. Is that why you see them going back? Because you believe in Ryan Tannehill, or is there more? Because I see making Fitzpatrick, who has as uh, defensive player of no defensive rookie of the year,
1: defensive rookie. Yeah, I, I believe in Adam GaSe, and uh, Adam Gates very much believes in Ryan Tannehill. Adam GaSe was was talking up uh, Tannehill for a breakout season last year before the uh, the injury last summer. Uh, I think people kind of they kind of forgot about Gates. Like, and emerged. Kyle Shanahan emerged, and they forgot how, how good a coach Gase was. And I'm, I'm kind of shocked to uh, always see him on these lists of, like, who's the first coach fired this year. Um, I think Adam Gase is, is an excellent coach. Uh, he's, uh, I think he's worthy of putting him in that same class as as, as he'd put a uh, McVay or a Kyle Shanahan, maybe maybe a half-step behind that year. But uh, Gase, what they, what they did this offseason, they basically went out and got guys who – maybe weren't quite as talented as a Jarvis Landry or, or obviously a, a Sue out there, but um, they got guys who will play the system. They 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 wanted to get sort of culture first type of guys. They wanted to get the locker room right. And the other thing uh, with the Dolphins, and Minka Fitzpatrick is, is like, I mean, he was the guy, like David's favorite player ever down there in Alabama. So if you're changing the culture, that's a good guy to bring in. Um what the Dolphins went through last year was it was completely absurd. No no team could have survived that. Uh you know, you started the year with the with, with Hannah Hill, your starting quarterback goes down, you have to bring Jay Cutler in off the street. Uh you have the hurricane and and everything that came along with that. Uh Chris Forcer, who probably was their best assistant coach. Uh you people know, forget about whole, that. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> he uh he will not be a, when uh, you know whatever when, when we talk about it ten years down the line we won't be uh, referring to him as Chris forster, the best assistant coach on the uh, Miami Dolphins. I still can't believe uh, that happened. It, it was. I mean, that stuff is insane. And, you can't write and, that. <laughs> uh, you really can't. And and oh uh, gosh, I mean, you know, you saw it in the up and down year where where you you know they, they get hammered by forty points a couple times, and then in December uh Patriots go down there and they beat up on the Patriots. So uh yeah, I, I think they, they have righted the ship as far as the culture in the locker room goes there. And and I do believe very strongly that Adam Gates is one of the uh one of the top young coaches in the league and that's why I, I am I am uh picking them to win nine games and, and sneak into that six
0: playoff spot. There you go. Okay. I'll get you out on this on thoughts on the Eagles and Pats. You have the Patriots losing in a Super Bowl once again to the Green Bay Packers. I think with the Patriots, I think there has to be legitimate concerns with the wide-receiving core and with that offensive line. But then again, they have the GOAT and Tom Brady. And with the Eagles, I feel like people are just looking at Philadelphia and saying, yeah, I mean, they got Nick Foles. He was great last year in the playoffs and winning the Super Bowl as being the MVP. But then again, he still is Nick Foles. There's a reason why he was the backup to Carson Wentz, not the starting quarterback, outside of them drafting Carson Wentz second overall. But I feel like people just look at Philadelphians and just believe that, yeah, they're going to go back to the Super Bowl because we've seen teams – outside of the Patriots, do that consistently in the last 15 years. So what are your thoughts on the Eagles and Patriots this season?
1: Yeah, I mean, if if Nick Foles slides back a little bit, uh, and I am thinking the Falcons to uh, to win the opener here, but, um, uh, you know, Foles slides back a little bit. I mean, he's a, he's a guy who uh, 31 teams really didn't want him before last season. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll see with the Eagles. I, I think it was something of a – I don't want to play up too much the Super Bowl hangover stuff because I think that gets overrated. But um, they certainly enjoyed the uh, the victory parade. I know Doug Peterson was was sort of talking about you know that's the past and and you know he talked to our Albert Breer a couple times about how you know 2017 is the past. Don't live in the past and stuff like that. But I don't know. He and Nick Foles are also going out on the book tours and they should enjoy the spoils of victory. But. Uh, you know, doing the book tours over the summer is probably not the best way of putting it in the past. Um, and, yeah, as far as the Patriots go, I mean, look, I think they might be a Gronkowski injury away from being in big trouble. Obviously, they're always a Tom Brady injury away from being in big trouble. But I think if Gronk went down uh, with the lack of weapons on the outside, even even if Edelman is back, uh, I think that limits them just a little bit too much. They, they, they don't have, I, I think when they had Martellus Bennett, they had a guy who could sort of do a Gronk imitation. They don't have that anymore. If you take that dimension away from that offense, and then on top of that, uh, you know, what are they doing at left tackle here? Uh, they, they lose Isaiah Wynn. Um, I think they slide back. I think the AFC becomes a, sort of a wide-open race if, uh, uh, if Gronk is going to miss any sort of extended time.
0: Yeah, either way they'll probably still find a way to get to the Super Bowl and we'll see who comes out of the NFC uh side of that. Um so Gary, really appreciate the time man. Are you doing the Sunday freak out once again this year?
1: I am doing the Sunday freakout. I'll I'll write the uh in the wee hours of the morning. I'll 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 run out my uh sort of pre-game column and then I'll do the freak out again uh in the afternoon and I'll see my family in uh February. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: you know, family, we love them, but, you know, they got to they gotta step aside for a few months here. Gary, really appreciate exactly. it. Gary Grambling, SI, Monday morning quarterback, does a great job. Gary, enjoy the football season. Uh, Julian,
1: thanks for having me. You too, man.
0: Okay, Gary Grambling there, Sports Illustrated, Monday morning quarterback. Pretty comprehensive look at the NFL season this year. really appreciate that time because, I mean, there's not a lot of people out there. And I don't really know Gary that well. I think I've had him on my Saturday morning show one time during the playoffs. I booked him a few times, but for him to give me 40 minutes, really appreciate him doing that. So that's all we have here on the Julian Council Show today. Like I said, I think I'm only going to do this once a week now because I already got a lot going on, and I don't know if I really want to wake up that early to come record a podcast and say that late afterwards, and I'm also going to do some writing stuff, so I, I think one a week will be fine. Then again, I only gave you one show a week, but you can hear me on Darren Downey. You can obviously hear me. Saturdays throughout the fall, 9 to 11 on Saturday, Tailgate with Nick Cale. And then what well, looks like it's going to be every Thursday on thegamenational.com, on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, on SoundCloud, on not only my personal page but on the game's personal page, once you find the game, you can check them out on SoundCloud, find all of our podcasts, including Max hers who did the Anchor Down podcast that uh, prevented me from starting this on the time I wanted to. But then again, it doesn't really matter. But um do all that stuff. Check it out. Really appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the opening week of the NFL season. And, of course, enjoy college football. But please, for the love of God, don't overreact. Talk to you.